Acts chapter 20. Uh, this church, obviously, every church has a calling and it has an assignment before God. And ours is no different. And part of our assignment is to win souls. And we believe that there's a burden and there's a passion coming on me to win souls like really never before in my entire saved life. Because the more and more I realize how good God has been to me, I want to share that with other people. And so I believe that is the heart of God and the heart that God wants all of his people to have. And so we're going to start a three-week series leading up to the Resurrection Week on the grace of God in salvation. The grace of God in salvation. If you'll look at Acts chapter 20, you'll notice in verses 1 through 7, it's really describing Paul's journeys through Greece. And then in verse 7, him ministering in a city called Troas. And then picking up at verse 13, he goes from Troas to Miletus. And then if you'll drop down to verse 17, he calls all the elders together at Ephesus and he begins to exhort them. And he begins to describe to them what his journeys had been like and all the things that he'd gone through. And let's pick it up in verse 20. And he says, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but I proclaimed it to you and I taught you publicly and from house to house testifying to the Jews or witnessing to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Notice what he said. Repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, if you grew up in church, if you grew up around church like I did uh, when I, 22 years old, gave my life to, to God and to Christ and a church of God in Christ, thank God for back in Detroit, Michigan, I always understood repentance to be confessing my sins. Anyone else would agree with that? If someone told you to repent, that meant you needed to confess your sins. How many of y'all would agree with that statement, right? Most of us experience that. But really, as we look deeper into this and as we travel through this message, you're going to see that's not really what Paul was telling them here. He said that his message was to witness and really encourage them to repent, which literally means, and I'll show you more in depth in a moment, means to consider a different way of thinking about God. And then he says, and a faith in Jesus Christ, right? That was what his witness was to those individuals. And then he says, and see now how I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies or witnesses in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. Now, how many of y'all would actually go to a city if you knew that they wanted to put you in prison when you arrived there? How many of y'all would believe God wanted to send you there? I mean, this is a strong level of conviction to know what's waiting on you, and you still go anyway. What I'm saying to you today, church, is there's a hostile world out there today. And this world is no longer church-friendly. And we have to have a conviction to share Jesus, regardless of what we face in the cities that he sends us to. And that's all Paul is saying here, right? And so let's continue on. So he says here, saving that chains and tribulations await me, but I love verse 24. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. What ministry was that, Paul? To testify of the gospel of the grace of God. To be a witness of the gospel 
of the grace of God. So Paul is saying what he was commissioned to do by Jesus was proclaim a good message of God's grace. I mean, every time you come to church, you should hear a good message about how good God is. Every time, regardless of the subject or the topic, it should be a good message about how good God is and his goodwill towards you. Just by definition, all of these are on version, your Bible app. If you want to follow along with the notes, you certainly can. They'll go up on the screen as well. And I encourage you to take additional notes as well. The word gospel means a good message or some say good news. Grace means goodwill, loving kindness, benefit, gift. It means joy. It means unearned. So when you're in an environment where a good message about goodwill is ministered, how many know it should produce liberality, freedom, joy? You should leave uplifted and literally feel better about yourself and your situation. All right, so he says here, Paul was given the ministry to proclaim a good message of God's goodwill. And really, primarily, his job was to accomplish this in two ways. Number one, that God has provided a way of salvation to sinners. And I don't know about you all, I'm so glad he provided a way for me. Because, man, I knew how to do that. Anybody else in here willing to be honest? Well, I knew how to do that. and trying to figure out new ways to do it, right? So I thank God that, that he provided a way. Number two, that he has done this out of love without requiring merit on the part of sinners. So it's, it's liberating to someone who is lost to know that I don't have to earn this. Someone has already earned this for me. So we must be sure that we've heard the pure gospel message of grace and not a perverted gospel. So when we think about a gospel message of grace, what it should remind us of is how good God is and what his goodness has provided for us. A perverted message is always going to talk about you and what you need to do to please God. And that's a works mentality. And how many know we can never do enough to please God? All right, and we're going to prove that, okay? We're talking about the grace of God in salvation. Go with me to Galatians chapter 1. Let's be sure that what we've heard is a pure gospel message of grace and not a perverted message. Go with me to Galatians chapter 1. What you'll find that Paul, in writing this letter to the church at Galatia, What he was struggling with was that the message that he delivered to them, they received it. But there was a mixed multitude there that was trying to pull them back and tell them that, no, you still need to do these things in order for God to receive you. And so the the struggle was, do I really only have to receive this by faith or is there something I need to do to get God to do something for me? And in verse 6 here, he does his salutation in verses 1 through 5. Verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, 
but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So remember, if it's about you, it's perverted. If it's about God, it's grace. Can everyone receive that as truth? If it's it's about you and something you have to do, it's perverted. If it's about God and something he's done for you, it's grace. Can you all see that? Let's keep reading. It's so serious to Paul. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, then let him be accursed. As we have said before, and so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, then I would not be the servant of Christ. And I believe we all come to a fork in the road at some point of our lives. Whereas, are we going to seek to please God or are we going to try to please man? And folks, that's a healthy place to be. Sometimes that can happen in your own household. Sometimes that can happen within denominations that you may be a part of. But once you come into the truth, then you have to make a decision whether or not you're going to obey God or obey man. And I encourage you to obey God every single time. Because you and God will always be a majority. So the gospel of the grace of God and salvation as taught in the New Testament. And remember, the New Testament begins at the book of Romans. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is still the Old Testament. The book of Acts is the Acts of the early church. The New Testament begins at the book of Romans. And you'll find that immediately he starts talking about the subject of grace. And that it is not of works. So much so, folks, that even in Ephesians, he tells us that that our salvation is by grace first. It is through grace that by faith we might be saved. So what we're really doing in our salvation is responding to what he's already done for us. It's not something we have to do to get him to do something for us. Is that clear in this building? All right, let's keep traveling today. So now... There pretty much can be summarized. These, uh, this grace, gospel of grace and, the new, uh, and salvation in the New Testament can be summarized under three headings. Beginning with, that's all we're going to talk about today is the need. But then after that, we're going to talk about the provision. And then we're going to talk about how to po- apply uh, the solution to everything that we've heard up until that point. But today, let's just focus on the need. Letter A up underneath point number one, the need. The Bible describes our spiritual condition as everyone has sinned. I believe everyone in this building at one point or another has sinned. Is that an accurate statement? It's probably true to say that since you've been saved. Oh, okay, this side over here is really saved. Let me try this side of the room. All of us at one point or another have sinned. All of us, since we've been saved, probably have sinned. Is that an accurate statement? Go with me to Romans chapter 3. So the Bible describes our spiritual condition as everyone has sinned. And this is a famous scripture that many people quote. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. Now, if you grew up in a family like I did around people, this is like their verse to kind of live however they want to live. And so in other words, Rev, don't judge me for how I'm living because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I mean, that's a misquote, a misrepresentation uh, of that text. Because if we keep it in terms of what it's actually saying, he said all have sinned. That's past tense. Right? If you read the very next verse, it says that we've been declared or justified righteous. Right? Declared righteous by faith. So how many know you're not a sinner and righteous at the same time? You're either one or the other. But what they do is they use that and they say, Rev, you know what the, come on, you know the book. All have saved and come short of, so this is just my issue. You got your issues, this is just mine. Anybody ever heard that before? And again, if it's my family, they'll go real far with that. They'll say, Rev, now come on, now Rev. Now the first miracle that Jesus did, where was that at? I didn't ask you to debate. Just ask, answer the question, Rev. Where was that at? Was that a party? So Jesus was at the party, right, Rev? This is my family, right? And then they'll say, Rev, when they ran out of wine, who did they go see? This is what they'll tell me. I didn't ask you to debate. Just answer that question, Rev. When they ran out of wine, who did they go see? I said, Jesus. They say, Rev, what did Jesus do? He kept the party going. That's my family. <laughs> and they use this, and they believe it covers everything. Because all have sinned. Falling short of the glory of God. But that's past tense. The reality is all have sinned and are in need of a Savior. And I thank God that I have a Savior that delivered me from my sin. Anybody else in here thank God that they have a Savior that has delivered them from their sin? If you broke letter B, if you broke one commandment, then you broke them all. And so the weight of that in the Old Testament was so heavy, that burden was so heavy to bear that no one believed that they could actually accomplish that. Because there were 613, listen to me, laws in the book of the Torah, which is the law of Moses, right? And so no one believed that they could actually live out all six. 113 of those commandments in the Torah or what we know as the law of Moses. And James understood that. James was a pastor, but he's also pastoring converted Jews who are now struggling or Messianic Jews who are struggling with receiving this information by faith versus what I need to do to get God to accept me. Go with me to James chapter 2 and let's look at verse 10. James chapter 2 and let's look at verse 10. James chapter 2, verse 10, I'm reading out of the New King James Version. It says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. I mean, that's too heavy of a burden to bear. 
We understand that because our human nature is very much that way. Our human nature is, you know what, once we mess up once, I'm already out there now. What do I mean by that? It's all in a day now. I'm already out there now. I'm drinking. Might as well get drunk. I'm just telling you human nature. I'm not saying anyone in this room. It's just human nature. It's, it's like once I'm out there, okay, I messed up now, and this is what Satan wants us to do because he knows this is a burden no human being can bear. And so what Satan wants you to do is say, okay, you know what? I'm already out there now. Might as well stay all the way out there. Watch this. We slept together once. We messed that dream up. Might as well live together. That's what people do. I can prove this to you even with food. You know when we get off of our diet? What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm not going to eat cake today. Once you eat one slice, I messed it up today. Now I might as well go on and eat half the cake. Come on, am I the only one willing to be honest in here? Lord knows don't go to a buffet. I just took my wife to a buffet last Sunday after service for her birthday. Raised on the creek. Great buffet, too. I probably shouldn't have said the name out loud, but great buffet. But here was the problem. I went in saying this right here. I'm only going here so that I can eat to live. So I'm just going to sample a few little things. Till I looked up on the board and it said the buffet was $30 per person. Well, that changed the whole narrative now. Now it's time for me to live to eat. Come on, church, let's be honest in here, right? Now I'm getting every, I don't care if I like it. I don't care if I don't like it. I'm trying it with different sauces. I'm putting it back. Come on, somebody. Come on, am I right or wrong? Because human nature says that once I'm out there, I might as well go all the way out there. My little daughter, bless her heart, she don't even eat a lot. She nibbles. But she didn't nibble at that buffet. (laughs) And can I just all the way tell on myself, we're trying to figure out if we can get some to-go cartridge back uh, That food was so good. You ever ate so much, all you can do is go home and just lay down. Right? After you lay down? What's my point here? Human nature is always going to be, once you fail, you might as well fail all the way. And Satan's going to do an excellent job of saying, see, you're not who you said you were. So now that you're out there, you might as well go all the way out there. So if you broke one, you broke them all. It never worked, and it never will work. The consequences of sin are serious. Letter C. Let's look at some of these consequences. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 59. The consequences of sin are serious. 
Isaiah chapter 59, let's begin reading it at stanza or verse 2, I'm sorry. It says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Can you imagine trying to have a relationship with a God that you believe you're separated from, that won't even look at you, and won't even listen to you? That's what sin does to people. Condemns them. They don't believe that they can even talk to God. They don't even believe that God will look at them, let alone listen to them. Go with me to Romans chapter 6. Let's look at verse 23, the A portion of that text. Romans chapter 6, 23, the A portion. says, for the wages of sin is what? Death, meaning to be eternally separated from God. I don't know about you all, but there's nothing worth separating me eternally from God. Then go to Revelations chapter 21. Let's look at verse 8. Revelations 21, 8. The consequences of sin are serious. Somehow, church has gotten to a place where sin is a subject that you cannot talk about on Sunday morning. Folks, that is a lie from the pit of hell. There is still a heaven to gain and a hell to shun every day of the week. Revelations 21.8 says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, those that practice these things, and all liars. It's interesting that they threw liars in there with murderers. Shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death that people will eternally be in a lake of fire and brimstone for eternity. Sin, folks, has consequences. But I've got good news for you. God sent someone to not just deliver you from sin, but to remove sin entirely. Somebody ought to thank God for that in here. I said somebody ought to thank God for that in here. Come on, not only did he remove it, but I don't even have it to the point where I have to struggle with it anymore. Letter D. Even morally good people need to be saved. Now this will be revelation for a few people in this building today. Everyone who goes to church, not saved. Believe it or not, everyone that worships, not saved. I'm going to prove this scripture. Again, if you come from families like I come from, you know, they believe, listen, hey, I don't steal from nobody. I don't rob. I don't, I don't, I haven't killed nobody. You just leave my weed and my alcohol alone. <laughs> Watch this. My wife will tell you, I got a family. My wife will tell you, and they can go to church and serve at the church in leadership positions. And the party, we just left Saturday, and they can get up Sunday morning and go serve. 
and worship and run and dance. That's not my kind of salvation. So I'm going to explain some things to you over the next several weeks. It's possible to be, possible to be saved but never progress in your salvation. And the will of God was always that you progressed in it. But watch this. Confession does not equal progression. Especially if what you're confessing is sin. You're actually taking yourself backwards. Let's keep going. Let's consider the examples of the house of Israel the man of Ethiopia and Cornelius. Letter D, even morally good people need to be saved. Let's look at the house of Israel first. Go with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And I, again, the reality is I have been around people that I've known to be saved 28 years since I've been saved. Their life has not progressed any further since the first day I knew. I'm talking about they couldn't afford a vacation then, they can't afford a vacation now. Life has not progressed much. They cussed then, they still cuss now. I mean, no, they're saved, they'll get to heaven, they won't have much victory on earth because that salvation never progressed. I'll explain all. Even morally good people need to be saved. So look at the house of Israel. Go with me to Acts chapter 2. You all know the story there. Uh, man, just a powerful dissertation here uh, from the people in the upper room coming out, Spirit of God coming upon them. Then it switched to this audience out there who did not know Christ. They heard Christ preached in, in their language so that they could be saved. And the story kind of picks up from there. Uh, Peter, again, preaches this dynamic message. And let's pick the story up at verse 36. It says here, therefore, let the house of Israel, house there is referring to family of Israel, who or know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucify, both Lord and Christ. This is important because these Jews already believed in God. They rejected Jesus, which is why he's putting emphasis on making sure that they understand that the one that they crucified, his name was Jesus, and he is both Lord and Christ. Lord is a Greek word, kurios, and it means supreme in authority. So there's no one higher than him. And the word Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a Greek word, Christos, which means anointed or the Messiah or the anointed Messiah. So in other words, this is the one that you crucify, that you have been praying to come. He is the one who is supreme in authority, and he is your Messiah. It's what he's ministering now, making sure that they understand that. Because remember, even morally good people need to be saved because these people believed that they were good, right? Let's keep reading. Now when they heard this, which is what the Holy Spirit will do, they were cut in their heart or pricked in their heart, or we'll say it this way, or convicted in their heart. What you'll learn in the next several weeks and beyond is that the Holy Spirit will never convict you of sin. You already know you wrong. you're wrong. The Holy Spirit will convict you of who you are in Christ. 
right, with an effort to get you more focused on who you are in Christ versus what you did wrong. And I can prove this to you. There's really not a time that I confess my sin that that ever helped me overcome my sin. It was only when I acknowledged who I was in him that actually gave me the power to overcome the sin. The more I confessed the sin, the more I focused on the sin and the more I struggled with the sin. The more I confessed who I am in him and how I've overcome the sin, the easier it was to overcome the sin. And I'll describe to you in a moment just really what that looks like. So I'm not telling you anything here. It's an acknowledgement, right? We know when we've done wrong. But what the Holy Spirit is going to do is convict us like it's doing here of who we are in him. Right? And so what you end up doing is acknowledging, Father, I I acknowledge that that behavior is wrong. Watch this. I know that you've already forgiven me for it. I understand your grace doesn't teach me that. I declare that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I've overcome that area of my life. Right? Then you must go through a process of repentance, which is not confessing your sin. Let's keep reading. I'll prove it to you. How many of y'all glad you came today? Okay, watch this now. So he made sure they knew who it was that they crucified, right? Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, said to Peter and the rest of them, men and brethren, what shall we do? which is an indication that they believe that, right? You don't ask what we need to do unless you believe what was just ministered to you. So you can see that the Holy Spirit convinced them or convicted them about their reality in him. You all see that? They immediately asked the question, what do we need to do? Then Peter said to them, repent. He didn't say confess your sin, did he? But if you grew up like I grew up, repent meant what? Confess your sins, right? So if you're like me, I got saved. They took me back in the back room, right? And they told me I needed the the ones that I could think of. (laughs) Anybody else? Come on, everybody. Come on. Somebody here know my story, right? And confess those sins, right? And then if you didn't, like, get baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit after that, because you still had something in you. That's what they told me. Right? Okay, let's keep reading. So he said, repent. Now let's now, from the Greek, understand what repent means. The definition will go right up on the screen. It literally means, watch this now, to think differently or reconsider. So how many know no change can take place in your life unless you think differently? You can come down here and have the salvation experience but you won't experience change until you change the way you think. Right? I can get saved, but if I think the same, I am going to act the same. So you see what he's saying to them? After you get saved, you got to focus on this, which is why we've got to have layman schools and leadership schools. All that stuff is coming in this new building. We're designing this building with first-class classrooms and learning environments for people to come in and grow. And we can wash that junk right out of your mind. (laughs) First class classrooms. You should see them. We're excited about them, too. Okay? First class that we own. (laughs) 
Come on, can we just give God one good shout for ownership in this place? All right, you all ready for a little bit more of this? So Peter said, repent. This is going to change your theology. Think differently. Reconsider. And let every one of you be baptized. You notice the progression here. He's not talking about baptized in the spirit here. That Greek word there is baptizo, which means water to be fully wet. So you see the progression he's telling them they need to go through? You need to be saved, believe. Then you need to repent, change the way you think. Then don't be afraid to let everybody know. You see that? And he's telling this to converted Jews. Repent, think differently, every one of you. Be water baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Watch your theology for the remission of sins. Guess what the word remission means? Removal. It means pardon. It means freedom. It means deliverance. It means liberty. Folks, I have good news for you. If you're saved, your sins have been removed. Watch this. And you don't even have them anymore. The only reason you struggle with it is because you're conscious of it. The moment you stop thinking about it is the moment you stop struggling with it. I hope this is helping somebody in here. Which is why these programs that make you say what you are don't work. I'm an alcoholic. You're going to be an alcoholic. How I many you know you don't deny that? But it's much more powerful to say that I'm a, watch this. I'm not denying that I'm struggling with alcohol. Watch how I say that. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and I've overcome alcoholism. See, I don't smoke weed. I'm not a weed head. I'm a grace head. I'm a saved head. I'm a righteous head. So I don't stand up and say, I've been smoking weed for 30 years. Hello, somebody. I'm struggling with weed. No. I say that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and I've overcome smoking weed. And all you do is focus on that day. Just win the day. Wake up the next day. See, I'm an ex-fornicator. But I promise you, if I'd have focused on fornicating, I'd have kept fornicating. But the moment I believed I was delivered from it, I haven't fornicated in 28 years. But watch this. The presence of it is there every day. Am I the only one in here willing to be honest? My flesh is not born again. It wakes up the same way every day. When you coming back, big fella? We miss you out here, dog. When you coming back? Anybody else in here willing to be honest? There are times when we all feel like having a flesh moment. When we're like, God, just give me one pass. 24 hours. Just say and do what I want to do. If you focus on that, you'll cash that pass in. But if you focus on who you are in him, you'll pass on that pass. 
Come on, can somebody give God a good hallelujah in this place? So now, you might recall we used Acts 2.38 for the baptism in the Holy Ghost, right? That was a, one of the scriptures on our scripture list on how to minister the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Well, folks, in this particular context, let's keep reading. It's actually talking about the Holy Spirit that you receive at salvation. Let's keep reading. For the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Numa there. Breath of fresh air, wind. Holy Spirit that comes to live on the inside of you after you're born again. Well, how do we know that? Right? Context is king. In order to form doctrine or to uh, validate doctrine, you've got to go and look at the few scriptures, two to three, leading up to that verse and the two to three leading after that. And that's how you keep things in context, right? So everything leading up to that is salvation. Let's read what it says after that, verse 39. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, watch this, and as many as the Lord our God will call. Nothing about tongues there talking about the Holy Spirit you receive at salvation. All right? So what happens to people, folks, I really want you to listen to me because I'm getting ready to go and show you some more examples. Most people have the initial salvation experience. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. God raised him from the grave. Right? You're born again, and that's where they stay. And they never go through repentance, which is really to change the way I think in every area of my life. So watch this. I can be saved and think living with someone is okay because I never change the way I think. Right? And I think I'm a morally good person. Watch this. I'm only sleeping with one person. And I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to pick on anyone. I'm actually trying to love on you to help you to understand how people stay in their situation. You can have people to go to church their whole lives and never give. See how quiet it got in this Roman Catholic church on that? Because they never renewed their mind. They're saved, but they have no revelation on giving. Right? If I don't renew my mind on relationships, then I'll treat my wife the way I treated women in the world. Even though I'm saved, I have no new information. And so a lot of times people think they're getting a good person because they go to church. You better wait a little while. Somebody single out right there should have stood up, shouted, took a lap around the sanctuary. You better wait a little while because just because you see this and hallelujah and Wait a little while. Because you'll find out real fast how saved they really are. Soon as you go on a date. Don't be listening to what they're talking about down there at that church. It's just me and you right now. Nobody going to know this but me and you. God ain't going to be mad at us. He made us this way. 
God, the, God the one gave us these feelings. I wouldn't be feeling like this unless God gave me this feeling. So you know if he gave me the feeling, then it's all right to take care of this feeling. We go to church on Sunday and we get it together till Sunday night. Come on, help me, church. Don't leave me out here by myself. Watch this. Sincerely, that's someone who sincerely got saved. They never changed the way they think. So their salvation didn't progress. And the reason why people don't want to come to church is not because they don't believe in Jesus. They're looking at too many people that their salvation didn't progress. See, they're watching people that can serve, play, do all kind of stuff. But then they live, they doing the same stuff with them on the weekend. I can't win somebody that I'm doing the same stuff that they're doing with. So believe it or not, it's not that people have something against church. They have a situation with the people that are in church. Because they haven't seen them progress in that salvation. All right, you all want a little bit more? Okay, I'm going to cut it back just a little bit, okay? Let's go and let's look at the uh, house of Israel very quickly. Acts chapter 2. Actually, let's look at the man of Ethiopia. Acts chapter 8. This is a very good one, okay? I'll leave Cornelius out. We'll wrap it up. You all get anything out of this today? Okay, you were never supposed to stay the same. Supposed to learn more, grow, change. Learn more, grow, change. Right? Even in marriage, my wife does not want the same guy she married 20 years ago. That's no fun, just like I don't want the same woman. And the reality is I can prove something else to you in a marriage illustration, how confessing what you did wrong doesn't work. I'm going to prove it to you in a marriage context. The reality is if all she ever told me is what I did wrong, I don't want to be around her. Every time I came in the house, all I'm hearing is what I'm not and what I'm not doing and what I did wrong. I want to be around that. But if I come in the house and she say, husband, you are my husband and there's none like you. You're the husband of husbands in all of the earth. <laughs> and I appreciate the way you take care of me. She can just about talk to me about anything after that. And I look forward to coming in the house. The opposite of that is true either. She don't want to be around me if all I'm telling her is what she's not, what she does wrong. There's no changing power in that type of conviction. Watch this. The only thing it does is creates a, the environment gets worse in the area that you're trying to change because your focus is wrong. Look at one more. We'll wrap it up. Let's look at the man of Ethiopia, right? A lot of good people go to church. That doesn't mean they're saved. Let's prove this. Acts chapter 8. You all learning anything today? Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went 
And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace the queen and of the Ethiopians who had charge of the treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, sitting in the chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. So why did he come to Jerusalem? To worship, right? On his way to Jerusalem to worship, he's reading the Bible. This is a good man, isn't it? Doesn't mean he's saved. A lot of people come to church and worship. Watch this. A lot of people come to church and actually read the scriptures that they're hearing. Doesn't mean that they're saved. Just could be seeking knowledge. Let's keep reading. So he asked Philip, or Philip ran down, sat with him. He says, well, let's go back up. Go near and overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? So this also tells you people can read it. That don't mean they understand it. Right? He said, how can I unless someone guide me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And in his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Now how many know the eunuch could not have asked the question, here's water, what's hindering me from being baptized unless he had already made a decision about salvation? Because water does not save. You have to already be saved to be water baptized. The only thing water does is confirm that you're already saved. It is an outward sign of the inward grace of salvation. Now let's keep reading. Any minister should not put something out there like that unless they support that in the scripture. I'm telling you, never believe a word that come out of a preacher's mouth, especially today. Listen, to if a preacher's mouth is moving, you should be looking to see if it's actually what it's saying. It's just the reality of the world we live in today. So I shouldn't say that and not support that. Let's keep reading. Says, so what does hinder me? Here's water. The eunuch said, see, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized. And Philip said, if you believe with all of your heart, you may. And he answered, the eunuch answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. But notice, he ministered salvation to him first. But just because you're a good person doesn't mean you're saved. That eunuch came to Jerusalem to worship, right or wrong. Isn't that what we read? He was reading the scriptures on his way. 
but he had never been saved or water baptized. Here's the reality, folks. Never judge a book by its cover. I don't care how great you think they are. Listen, Donald Trump needs a savior. Somebody in that White House needs to know how to articulate this and get that to him so he understands there's someone greater than him. You understand? So don't just think because people are good people that they're okay. Make sure that they know Jesus. And then they need to know that they need to progress in knowing Jesus. Let's look at one more Cornelius very quickly. This will only take a second. Acts chapter 10. I want to drive this point home. Acts chapter 10. So many people go to church. Listen, folks, I don't care nothing about crowds. People always, how many you got, Doc? How many you got? I hate that question. This is my answer to it. Listen, you can have 4,000 people who are on your row, but only 200 of them might really be saved. The rest of them just attending church. Now, if you just look at basic stats, right, let's just say 4,000-member church and 8% of that church tithes, that's 92% that's of the people have no revelation on giving or they rejected it. Watch this, 4,000-member church and 500 people say that's 10, I mean, 500 people serve. That's still the majority of the people just sitting down attending. How many of y'all glad you came today? So, see, we're getting ready to track this differently. I don't really care anything about crowds. How many of them are progressing in that? How many have taken their next step classes? How many of them been water baptized? How many of them attend small groups? How many of them serve on the dream team? That's your real church. So if you ask me today, we've got a church of about 13, 1,400 people, but about 4,000 that attend when they want to. This is some good stuff, isn't it? Let's look at Cornelius, and we'll close. It, it really did get quiet right there. I almost felt like somebody was getting ready to throw something up here at me. MODs, stay close to me after service. Stay close to me. But I mean, you know, a pastor cannot be afraid of the people. A, a pastor's job is to tell the people the truth. And if he truly loves them, he's going to tell them the truth. Amen. Folks, I've got to get you out of those seats Amen. and get you to stop spectating Amen. and cheering us on Amen. and get in the game Amen. so we can cheer you on, Amen. right? And just like the church paid cash for its, its home, you can learn how to pay cash for your home. Amen. Come on, somebody. Amen. Come on, somebody. Everything that happens to the church is supposed to happen to the people that are in the church. Let's look at Cornelius, and I'm done. Acts chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion that was called the Italian band. 
or the Italian regiment. A devout man, one that feared God with all of his household. So he feared God and trained his house that way. And he gave alms generously. This man was a giver to the people. And this man prayed to God always. Now, in our mind, that's a saved man, isn't it? Right? He loves God, trains his house the right way. He's a giver, and he prays all the time. A lot of people like that doesn't mean that they're saved. And I would encourage you to read the entire Acts chapter 10 and 11. But you'll find in the 11th chapter, verse 14, being a good person here, he sent for Paul or Peter who would tell him the words by which him and his household could be saved. That's in Acts chapter 11, verse 14. So even though he did all of that, he still needed to be saved. Not just him, but him and his household. See, he was a good person, right? What I'm saying, folks, even good morally people, even people who are good morally in general still need to be saved. So being a good religious person cannot save you. In fact, most examples of conversion in the New Testament, the book of Acts, salvation, those that are described, they describe people who already were very religious. But they were told that they needed to be saved. And so the fact is, folks, at one point we were all sinners We were in need of salvation. Well, we are a sinner and in need of salvation. It's either or. It's nothing that we could ever do that would allow us to run away from our guilt. We cannot work our way out of this guilt. So we can't be self-deceived by notions of our own goodness because we've all missed it and are in need of a salvation or have already been saved. One or the other. You either are or you're in need of. Let's all stand to our feet and reflect where we're at on this journey. Did you all get anything out of this today? Praise God. Let's all stand to our feet and let's just reflect. Just play me something like this. Let's just reflect where we're at on our journey. I've seen so much stuff over the years. That I'm just believing God, man, that we can have a church that really just loves God seriously. I've seen people just, man, it's just been so much, so much going on in the church. And God forbid that it's at the top of the church. Folks, let's bring God's righteous standards back to the church. Can we commit to that? Anybody else with me? I don't want a building full of crowded people. I don't want that. Listen to you. I, I, I'm being as sincere with you as I possibly can. I wouldn't care if 10,000 people were in there. I don't listen. How many of them are really saved?